came to podcast for all mankind it's a surprise bonus episode <gasps> at the end of season four for all mankind i'm jason snell and joined of course as always by my uh partner next to me here inside this vending machine it's dan morin <laughs> hi dan they said there were no more episodes in the vending machine jason but if you shake it just yeah. right you can knock one loose it was just stuck in the back there off in the corner all right, um, people are going to wonder, like, what is there a, le- a surprise 11th episode? Is there a Christmas special? What is happening with Ooh, the Roman Mankind? Mankind Christmas special? What we don't have is news about a season five. We don't have that. What we do have is an interview with Ben Nadivi and Matt Wolpert, the showrunners and co creators of For All Mankind. We do. Ooh. <gasps> and Interesting stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. So. Without further ado, Ben and Matt, thank you so much for being on our podcast uh, to break down, I don't know, season four, you know, of a TV show that just finished. Um, I have the key question, Dan, and I both want to ask you is what is the, de- <laughs> we named our podcast NASA Vending Machine. Who is obsessed? There are vending machines on NASA where important things happen. There's a vending machine on Mars. <laughs> There's a vending machine in the Soviet Union that has different kinds Ross of coffee. Cosmos, yeah. What is happening? <laughs> Tell us. You know, you you figured out the secret to Ben and Mai's writing career is you you, you can never go wrong with a vending machine scene. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, honestly, I have to say that first Margot vending machine scene in uh, season two might be one of my favorite scenes from the entire series, just because it's so has no plot to it, really. Like there's not, you know, you could totally pull that out and the episode would be fine, but it brings so much out about her character and there's almost no dialogue and it just tells you everything about Margot. Um and I, I love that. No, it's funny it's funny with the vending machine because it, it also it almost has become like the water cooler of our show, I guess, on some level. <laughs> and maybe maybe part of it is that writers, I don't know if you know this, but are obsessed with food and snacks. Yeah. It's, it happens to be the one thing I think all TV writers share in common is the constant need to feed ourselves. So I, maybe that is sort of slipped into the the fam the fam storytelling in some way. We Did just you had come that with moment these while standing at the vending machine. You're like, oh, this, this would be good. <laughs> we just had a moment in season two. There there are those key scenes there, and we're, we're, we started keying into the vending machine and being like, is something going to happen with the vending machine? And then, of course, in the climax <laughs> right. of season two, something happens at the vending machine. It's like, oh, this is. <laughs> so we laughed and we and we joked about it, and it became a recurring bit. And then uh, there was the the that. Amazing, actually, scene with Margot in the in at Roscosmos or at uh, Star City with the Soviet vending machine, and we lost our minds. We're like, "What?" Well, is there's also in, in Eli. Eli Hobson has a t- talk about going to the vending machine when he goes to work with his dad. And we're like, we're being yeah. trolled now. So it's really a theme of the show. It's a theme. Vending machine or a spinoff is a theme of the show. Ooh, I like that. Well, what like I, a vending machine company or something. Right. We finally yeah. had a moment late in season four where we we said to each other, you know. What is an asteroid but a giant iridium vending machine? <laughs> there you go. Space. Hilarious. The void of space is really big vending yeah, machine waiting. Yeah. And the asteroid off. is dropping down to the slot. That's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, th- thank you for indulging us. We're obsessed with vending machines now. We, we didn't start this way. You made us this way. Yeah, it's not our fault. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say, you know, taking a look at sort of the show from a broad perspective, I think, you know, the most interesting thing to a lot of people in sort of the premise is like the alternate history nature and the fact that we're starting with this divergence from where our reality is. And you sort of, you know, in the early seasons, hew very closely and then start to diverge little bits and then more and more, I guess, as we go. 
I'm curious to know, like, how do you choose when you're sort of thinking about a season or breaking down a season, which events diverge and which don't? Are there any good ones that you like you wanted to do but got left out, you couldn't fit in or? Um, you know, it's it's part of Ben and Mai's, uh, or it's it's probably our favorite part of the show, honestly, is is the alternate history aspect of it as well, because it's so we're just history geeks and and that's all we read. And so we like to look at it as like history is our IP and we're just like adapting history to our own ends. And um, uh, so it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's there's different aspects to it where it's like, you know, there's some some alt history stuff like um, what happened with Panama in season two, where like three hosts didn't die in a plane crash that that has more of a um, uh, uh, plot focus to it. But then there's the really fun stuff in those opening montages where yeah. we just try to come up with as many things as possible um, and see what we can see, what fits in, see what plays, see what stock footage we can get to make it sell and then what we can get the rights to, which honestly is a lot of times why we can't do something is because we couldn't get the rights to the footage. Like we had this one thing I was obsessed with being able to pull off, which we couldn't wind up getting the rights to in the end, that um, that Eric Stoltz was never recast in Back to the Future. <laughs> and because there's some footage of that, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. Um, we, we tried to use it, but we just couldn't get everybody to agree to, which I get... I get why they they didn't want to highlight I think that. Everyone uh, agreed, but Eric Stoltz, right? Yeah, I think he yeah. was the one. He was like, out. "I would rather not be remembered for that." For a thing I didn't do, Sad. thing I got fired from. Yeah, I, I get it. yeah. So yeah. I understand, but I mean, you know, it's there's just so many things like that that are really fun and um, uh, and kind of wind up on the cutting room floor for various reasons. You guys also do a lot of echoing of historic events, like the. I think the bombing at the end of season three, it clearly is echoing. And we see that even into season four, it is an echo of the Oklahoma city bombing. So you get a lot of these historical events that aren't quite the same, but it feels like, like it's, it's almost like some event like that had to happen. It's just a different kind of the same event in the alternate timeline. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is intentional too, is I think we're constantly trying to keep one foot in our history and one foot in our alt history. Because I think the difference between our show and other alt history shows is we're, we're really leaning into seeing the butterfly effect, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas w- how this has been done before is usually you jump ahead 50, 60 years from that point of divergence and you're seeing the more dystopian world. We really lean into what are the differences. And I think to your question, I think part of the advantage of that is, okay, what has changed and how are historical moments that we recognize different but also similar in certain ways, right? And I think even this season, um, you know, one of the things that uh, informed our scenes later in the season were were the the torture, the detainees that happened in Iraq in the in mm-hmm. the early two thousand. So we we thought about like what would be the version of events where that would happen in a more Martian environment. Like what would be the version in our show? And I think sometimes it doesn't come up. It's not that we go into the storytelling thinking how can we do that. It's almost as we're telling the story, it comes to us. Oh, wow, this is similar to what happened in Iraq where, you know, and in other events in history where, you know, the the domino effect of we want to stop these people from committing a crime leads to us committing an even bigger crime in certain ways. Mm. Um, and, and that's even the Eli Hobson character this year in many ways was informed by McNamara. 
and the idea of that slow roll towards doing something that he could never even imagined in the beginning of the season he would have done and ending with him looking at that newspaper and realizing, wow, what have I, I've played a part in something that I never realized I could have just by that slow drip of what happened throughout the season. So yeah, it, I think history informs a lot of what we do, but I also think it's sort of, we we want to keep a foot in in reality and real history. And I think that's a way to, way to kind of do that. Yeah. You could argue that, I mean, after the point of divergence that uh, by this period in time, nothing would be recognizable. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about for all mankind, you guys seem to want to have some familiarity. You don't want to say, Oh, the world's totally different. So you'll have politicians and other kind of things that are not quite the same, but it's like, we don't, we don't have a politic, like a president we've never heard of that. Who's not either a character on the show or somebody who's been in our politics. And I, I I feel more ground, like it grounds the the show a little bit more to have it that way. Yeah. And that's definitely the goal, but it's also, you know, um, it's not like because the Soviets landed on the moon, like certain people would just would change the DNA of who they are, or even with wardrobe and things like that. People are like, why don't people dress totally differently in the 2000s? And it's like, well, fashion might be slightly informed by it, but it's not. There's all these other forces that are at work in the culture and the society that aren't going to change. And so it's really about thinking through what would change, what would stay the same. Um, and finding that that right balance. I'd love to see the cosmonaut-inspired 2000s fashion, though. Oh, cosmonaut chic is in. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, by the way, I think as the show has gone on, though, this has gotten more and more challenging because I agree. I think people have noticed this, but, you know, our ties to history are are changing and evolving. And I think, you know, season four was probably the least tied to actual history than than any season before it, because the butterfly effect would spread even further. So where we really I think that the final challenge for us has been music, because the music so helps you set mm-hmm. yourself in the era. But the reality is, I think music is impacted by culture um, and sometimes politics. And I think our dream would have been to go back into these familiar songs and change the lyrics. I think it's something we always, we tell our music supervisor at the beginning of the year, can you get us the rights to a famous song and let Matt and I write the lyrics to it, rewrite the lyrics. And she's like, do you realize what an impossible task that is? Like, please, please. So that that's always our, our, our dreams to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's proved quite difficult. Wow, Major I, Tom is now Major Ed. That's terrible. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> was it like a Mr. Ed spinoff? That's we actually confusing. did. I, I can reveal this, I think. And we had, she did pull this off once where that song, what was the name of the song? Um, war, What Is It Good For? Yeah, War. You know that song, War? We were able to, yeah. somehow we convinced them to change the lyrics to Moon, What Is It Good For? <laughs> and we literally, Matt and I rewrote the song. And in the end, I, we didn't include it because I didn't fit into the scene. It didn't make sense. But we were so kind of annoyed we couldn't fit it in because we're so proud of of how we were able to change it. But, uh, yeah, just to give you an example of behind the scenes of, of an attempt at that. I It's interesting. I mean, another way that sort of the divergence, I think, strikes us, Jason and I both, you know, our, our day jobs are, are writing about technology, specifically often Apple. Um, and I we've really enjoyed watching the evolution of 
you know, some of the Apple devices that we have seen, which have come about in different ways in this reality. Um, and just sort of curious, like, is there any tie-in with that for you for like, you know, Apple obviously producing or distributing the show and, and just how you think about what the technology is like and how it has evolved differently in a world where like space travel is still so central? It's a ton of fun to to play around with. It's it's really not driven by Apple at all. It's driven by us being uh, attempting to sort of uh, explore how um, different types of technology would be different, and and also playing into that alternate history thing of like, um, what if the Newton really took off, you know? And it was like it worked, <laughs> and. Um, and then what would those personal devices be like if it was started from this clunkier sort of earlier, you know, if the technology had had caught up where the Newton had functioned better, would it have really caught on? And then how do you track that through, um, it, you know, personal technology is such a tricky element to um, to adapt uh, also where it's like, I think we've attempted to like bring certain things online faster, like flat screen technology or the way uh, computing technology works faster. Um, but there are other things that, that sort of, uh, you know, like in our, uh, in our universe, the internet, the World Wide web never really became a widespread thing. You know, it's, it's sort of still rooted in, um, more closed systems where it's not this this kind of revolutionary technology and how would that change things where like uh you know cell phone the cell phone becomes more central to the communication uh uh going forward we'll uh, like we'll have some follow-up internet. questions we'll send you via d-mail later yeah <laughs> yeah i do enjoy the internet being a a salient plot like the speed of the internet connection yeah. being a salient plot point this yeah. year i felt very relatable There's even on mars, yeah. Oh, on mars yeah. Yeah. yeah um talking about season four a little bit more one of the things that struck us in watching these every week is the earth mars divide and that comes off in a few places you've got civilians we see it with miles but you've got civilian workers who are there so you've got you've got helios and you've got contractors and then you've got military representatives and you know it over the course of time there's unrest there's there's some unionization you know basically and a strike that happens and you've also got this kind of exertion of like earth power trying to extend itself to mars and bringing up the interesting question of can it right like there we had a few moments like there is that moment where where dev says i'm going to let's steal an asteroid where where both of us sort of said does dev want to be president of mars is that what he's going for here what when you were uh, putting the season together how much did you think about sort of like the the earth mars dichotomy and how maybe power on Mars is not the same as it, as it is. And maybe there are powers on earth who are making assumptions about how much control they have about Mars. Yeah, no, it, it informed it a lot. It was, you know, early on, we actually, you know, we talk about every season's kind of based on a historical event. I think second season, we thought about Cuban missile crisis a lot this season, you know, what really informed it was, you know, the American colonies and kind of their relationship with England and, and kind of how that distance between the kind of, you know, the Brits and the Americans uh, created tension. And I think it, obviously our version is very different with Mars, but the opportunity we had was, you know, the show, it, it, let's put it this way, when you jump in time like this, we felt you have to add characters that reflect the, the changing of 
the space program, space travel, that the show would no longer be focused solely on astronauts or hotshot pilots from the 70s or engineers, but opening it up to labor force made sense because of the asteroids, because of mining, because of who you need up there. And that also opens up the show. So part of it was we wanted to lean into tensions between Earth and Mars, but we wanted to come about in a way that kind of reflected the greed um, of these companies sending up workers, wanting them to, you know, they didn't go about it like, oh, we want to treat them poorly. But when your workers are you know, so far away, you can't communicate directly with anyone. You know, it sort of becomes an out of sight, out of mind uh, situation. And I think that would naturally lead to these tensions that you see happen in the show. So I think, you know, we, before we start writing, we we map out the whole season. We kind of know what the ending is. I think this season we kind of knew, we always knew, okay, we want to get to a heist. I'll be honest, <laughs> it was one of those ideas that came up when, when the heist came up. We were like, oh, yes, we have to do that. But we also <laughs> were terrified of it because it was a heist on For All Mankind. Like, how do you make it feel for all mankindy, you know, like how do you make it feel grounded? And I think that's when it really came to life was the idea of you have these really smart people who would find a way to do heist where, where we can lean into the specifics of what it would literally take to move an asteroid. So it becomes an equation just like every season where you have people like Margot, Aleda, Dev, Ed having to figure out how to do this scientifically. Um, the same way we, you know, in our writer's room are trying are trying to figure it out on our whiteboard. <laughs> so if someone walked in, it almost looked this? like we were like pulling off our own heist uh, in the writer's room. And how did they pull this off? So, so yeah, like, you know, to go back to your question, I think we were, it was always the intention. I think the Mars Earth of it all is something that felt natural coming from, uh, you know, the different groups on our show. Yeah, it was really interesting, too, like... Um a lot of it stemmed from this realization we had in season three, actually, when we got people up to Mars in the middle of the season and we realized uh, they could never talk directly to each other. And it was it because when it was uh, centered around the moon, you could have basically direct communication. There's a little lag, but it wasn't noticeable. And at first we were like, what do you mean? None of our characters can talk directly to each other. That's terrible. And then we kind of leaned into that idea of having to send essentially letters to each other. And it's like, well, if you can't directly talk to each other, it felt like there was already this divide of not being in the same place and starting to have culture and society grow on different paths because there wasn't that ability to just have a dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate particularly, you know, you start to see more divergence too with the people as you, you have Dima at one point mentioning that Alex is is more at home on Mars and is sort of our first martian right so like you can kind of see where that divide is heading as things diverge more um but thinking about the heist one thing that i kind of wonder as in the sort of aftermath of this season is you know we were talking about the power and who exerts power are there consequences for this sabotage asteroid hijacking i mean i don't know that that's a a crime on the books obviously something was stolen but like right. what happens to our characters who have done this they they surely can't get away sort of scot-free and we had we had listeners who would write to us uh listening to our podcast saying like well surely ed and dev are traitors and they're going to be arrested and taken back to earth and i said okay right. who's going to do that right like i mean that's part of the the dichotomy here between earth and mars is like do yeah. does somebody can somebody exert that level of authority over these guys who have just basically declared themselves Martians? Yeah, no, it's it's a fascinating thing to explore. I mean, I'm sure there will be consequences to varying degrees for for the different characters involved in a 
theoretical season five. <laughs> uh, right, and um, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it is a really interesting thought experiment of like, was anything actually stolen? Like they just kind of changed where it went, <laughs> but it wasn't like they put it in their pocket and, or put it in their bank account. You know, it's like, it's just in a different place. So there, there are those interesting things to explore going forward of like, how how does that land on our on our characters but also how does that asteroid being in a different place change the dynamics of the world and the dynamics between earth and mars um uh, we so one one storyline that we were actually sort of surprised by the non-resolution is we follow kelly kelly ends up sort of unexpectedly coming to mars she's repurposed her uh, rovers they are searching for life on mars there's a moment there's a moment at the end of i think episode nine maybe it was in episode eight where i said to dan um well i, I can tell you what the end is going to be is that they're going to find life on mars and right. episode 10 it's just not in there so were, were you did you decide that you just needed to put kelly's story on hold or was that more of a red herring than everything else because we get some really nice moments in that crater and that conversation yeah. between dev where dev is very distracted right and yeah. kelly but kelly's actual storyline just seems to stop in episode nine for the most yeah. part yeah and you know it's interesting because i think every season if you look back there are those hanging chads of uh storylines <laughs> that are started that we always felt this search for the life life on Mars is, you know, it realistically would not be something that would be closed up quickly. You know, it wouldn't be like a thing. Oh, I started looking and I found it. Oh, or, you know, it's it's, and I think for us that is an important moment. But I also feel just like in season two, there was this whole through line of of Mars and should we go to Mars? And we never end up going to Mars uh, in season two until the flash forward. So I think for us, it was more about getting Kelly up there with Alex and and the dynamic with her father. I think that search for Mars, I mean, that search for life she's been on, honestly, she's been on since season two, when you think about it. Mm. Um, it started even before season three. So this is someone who's committed her entire life to this search in many ways, a, a big portion of her life. And I think that's fascinating in and of itself, too, that, you know, with the amount of story threads and characters we have on this show, we we do find sometimes we can't we can't close all the threads at the end of the season. And I almost felt this year, you know, you want to close most of them. I think we we feel a responsibility because of the time jumps to not leave everything open-ended. But I like leaving a few things <laughs> open-ended for us yeah. to kind of revisit uh, in a way that gives it the, you know, gives it the, the arc it needs, really. Yeah, well, talking about characters, I think one thing that intrigued me this season was the dynamic between, in the later episodes, Ed and Dev, who are these two characters who are very much at odds, especially last season, right? Like, there's literally, like, you know, Ed disobeying orders that Dev yeah. is giving him, and they find themselves kind of aligned. And I'm curious to know, like, how do you sort of think of their evolution this season and how they come to be on this page, and, and are they is this all born out of self-interest? Like, you know, Ed doesn't want to go home. Dev wants to move to Mars. Or do you think they actually do have sort of grander ideals? It's interesting. I, I, I love how that relationship evolved. And it's something that we kind of discovered along the way. Um, a lot of times people who are at loggerheads actually are that way because they're so similar, I think. And I think they're maybe not in the way that they... Um, they outwardly behave. Uh, Dev is definitely a little more of an internal person than Ed, who's a little bit more extroverted. But um, they both are used to getting their own way 
And, uh, you know, so seeing those guys uh, butt heads in the beginning of their relationship and then evolving into a friendship when they're um, when their wants kind of uh, combine was really fun. But I think it's also a great way to have these these two guys who are sort of hurting in different ways have someone to open up with. I love that scene in episode eight where um, Deb is kind of giving Ed advice about how to relate to Alex and he's calling on his own experiences with his father. And, and it's almost like Ed has a, uh, it's the first time we've really seen Ed have a friend that he can talk to like that Mm. since Gordo. And uh, I don't know, it's just a a really fun uh, dynamic to explore. We had a, um, a listener who wanted us to ask you about Margot's obsession with ketchup, but um, that's very <laughs> vending machine oriented. So I will also say I was struck by the similarities between Margot and her mentor, um, Verna von Braun going back to season one, where I had a moment watching season four where I thought, Oh my God, Margot is now in the country of her enemy, not speaking the language and involved with their space program. Who does that sound like? It's, yeah. it's, it's her mentor. Um, I, I don't know if you've if you've got any thoughts about that kind of callback, but I I did it gave me pause when I suddenly realized that Margot had turned into uh, sort of into her mentor into Werner von Braun. Yeah, and I mean, yes, I would say it's interesting of all the of all the characters on our show, the Margot arc is the one we st- we have stuck to the closest from the beginning of the show, and I mean the beginning when we when we were first talking about her character, we already knew. We wanted her in the Soviet Union in season three, and we knew the arc you're talking about with von Braun was very intentional. But we we thought the opportunity we have of telling a story over like 40, 50 years that you can really show the slow drip evolution of that, right? Because if you do it too quickly, it's a little on the nose, right? Oh, she becomes her. To really earn that, it felt like you had to put her in position slowly in ways that maybe people didn't see coming. And I think what's fascinating to me is von Braun was such a complex person. I think you know, with all the awful things he did, he also did great things. And I think it's a reflection of the show and what we we talk about. We don't, we're not, we're not as interested in, in doing something like good guys and bad guys or like, you know, good and evil. Like I think with us, a lot of our characters you'll notice are very complex, uh, Ed Baldwin included. And I think Margot is just a wonderful character to write. I have to say it, it helps that the actress Ren Schmidt is, is incredible, incredibly talented. So what you said, that arc of hers, where she basically in Russia is von Braun in a way that I don't think she maybe fully acknowledges at that moment <laughs> either, right? I mean, that that's the thing. Like, as we get older, I think we become more and more like our mentors or our parents in ways that maybe, maybe it takes us a while to acknowledge. But I think the thing with her, she's not von Braun. I think it's that scene with her and Aleda in the viewing gallery. It's one of my favorite scenes in that last episode. Mm-hmm. Because one, it's in the room where she talked to Von Braun. Yeah. And you could look at that scene and go, oh, she's Von Braun and Aleda's Margot. And it's the... But I think what Aleda says there, you're not him, you know? And, and, and I think that's the thing for us. What was, what was striking was the differences. She's taking ownership of what she's doing the way Von Braun was not. He was escaping it. He was escaping blame. Yeah. She's embracing it. She's saying, I'm going to take this on. And I think that that, that moment there, she, you know, leads to her basically taking the fall for Aleda and going to prison at the end, which which to me, like her face, her expression as she's walking out of that room, 
uh, to us reflected a moment it's it's not necessarily a happy ending but in a way it's the fitting ending for her yeah you know she's going in not not yelling and, and blaming and, and excusing things like von braun was she's going in saying this is this is the way it should be it, and, it comes down to that that line she's they both say progress is never free there's always a cost and how they define that cost and von braun defined the cost as what other people have to pay for progress mm -hmm. and for margo it's what price do i have to pay for progress and i think that's kind of the interesting evolution of those two characters uh it, through that lens that i i agree with ben it's one of the things i'm most proud of is how that came together and and looking back at those early scenes with Werner and her in episodes one and two um, and in episode 106, like a lot of the the dialogue was written to to sort of hint at things that are going to come later and so that you'll be able to go back and rewatch them and they'll have a sort of an added meaning knowing where she winds up going. Speaking of progress and just sort of looking forward at like a, you know, a hypothetical season five, but like we've been to space, we've been to moon, we've been to Mars, kind of the asteroid, seeing where this, this reality goes from here, where this history goes from here. Does it go, continue to go outwards, you feel like into the solar system or does it sort of fold in kind of like what they're worried about with, you know, never going back to Mars when the asteroid shows right. up? Like, does this keep them stuck to Mars now? Yeah, it's an interesting question that we we've struggled with a lot as well or wrestled with, I wouldn't say struggled, but it's I think it's a bit of both because uh you know the 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 premise of the show is kind of stated by Gene Kranz in that first episode when he's talking about not letting the loss of the moon stop the space program and he lays out what is possible if they don't give up in that moment. And that is kind of the intention of the show is to show the growth of the space program that that he laid out. Um, but naturally, as you're building a, a colony and a and a new society on another planet, that is going to uh, cause people to start st take their eyes off the heavens and look at where they're standing. Um, and that's something really interesting about um the tension between those two things that you saw on the moon in season two, and now it's going to be happening in seasons four and five on, on uh, uh, Mars and who knows where else uh, things will go. What do you think the the remit of For All Mankind is though? Like it's not a show about Mars, right? It's a show about human expansion into space. So I would imagine that at, at, at some point you would think, well, what is this show? Are we going to stay and have a drama about Mars now? Or is it going to be sort of a broader thing of there will be forces pushing humanity outward as well? I mean, that, you know, it's it's funny because I think the most dangerous thing you can give a writer is too much freedom. <laughs> it's the universe. It's big. It's real big. It's almost, yeah. And I have to say they, they've given us too much freedom for sure because you're right. We have so many layers to the show. I, we sometimes as we're bashing our heads against the, <laughs> the walls of the writer's room, we're like, it's, it's insane how many layers are to the show. It feels almost more layered and bigger than almost than any show out there in some levels, because there's the alternate history. There's the story of people's lifetimes and how they evolve the generational story. There's the story of, you know, also the moon, by the way, I would love to have settled on the moon and found out what happened with the moon and spend mm -hmm. Entire seasons stuck. I think there's plenty of potential there, but the, but we are limited by these these ten episode arcs, and also really to be able to 
tell a character story, which is, I think, first and foremost in our minds, I think you have to you have to be deliberate about how fast you move and how much story you're trying to attempt. I I already think we kind of try to push too much sometimes every season. That occur that occurs to me as we get to the finale and Matt and I are like, wow, okay, how do we close all these threads <laughs> in this one hour, sometimes one hour 15 episode? But but I think, you know, to your question, I think what I I think what we've held on to is the idea that you, you is there a way to both push forward and also talk about the changes that are happening. I think Mars provides that opportunity probably most more than anything because we we almost see Mars in a way as our way station to the rest of the universe, you know? Mm. There's not as much of an atmosphere, it's easier to leave to go from there beyond to the asteroid belt and beyond. So for us, I think if we're lucky to go forward with the show, I'm just as excited about exploring a Mars where there's thousands of people and what that means as I am about going beyond Mars. And I think as we've done in the past, we have to find a way to maybe juggle both. I think what maybe gets may get more and more lost is Earth, right? I mean, strangely, that's been such a big part of the show from the beginning. And I can see even in this season, it was interesting when we got to the end, our line producer was like, you know, we hardly spent any time in mission control this season. And I think if you look at it, we we spend less and less time at, at you know, on those Earth sets as we did the seasons before. So slowly the show may shift more and more to Mars and it in a, in a natural way and maybe that'll open up the ability to tell those kinds of stories we want to tell yeah. rather than earth managing this little mars outpost they get to manage <laughs> right. themselves yeah whatever dev's job is now we don't know <laughs> it's a mystery um, I, I, I we had a very perceptive listener ask a question that i i wanted to end with here which is um there's labor action in this epi- in this season and then you guys participated in a labor action. Did you ever, do you, you know, watching this season back, do you have different perspectives on it now, having gone through the strike yourselves? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Right? Uh, I mean, it's not mine, but when they asked <laughs> yeah, me, I was like, wow, no, that's really cool. That's a cool yeah, idea. Yeah. Because Ben and I always try to go out of our way to clarify that the labor action in this story was not a way for us to talk about our own sure. labor action. And cause we didn't even know that that was on the horizon right, right. when we were writing these scripts, it really was driven by thinking about a, sort of a new labor force in a kind of a mining context and, and how throughout history, you know, those labor forces have been taken advantage of for, the, for a buck. Um, but I think one of the things we tried to do was show the investment on both sides of the issue. Uh, you know, like Danielle has pretty valid points as well in that uh, scene where they're sitting across from the union reps. And she's talking about like, we've only got this amount of time and we got to make this amount of fuel. And like, like this yeah. is really important to everybody. So like, let's, let's, let's talk. And I think, um, you know, our labor action was what I think that's what the hope was for everybody was that it would be a, a conversation when and when communication breaks down is when these things come to a head, I think. And and I still feel that that was at the root of what what uh, the story was in our show and the one we went through ourselves. It's a little yeah, more it, resonance after the fact, maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and look, if you the show is also so much about from season one, the idea of strangers, different people who shouldn't 
shouldn't be together having to come together for the greater good right that that's something we we kind of keep going back to and i think that is what was at the heart of you know looking back in a way that's what the wj strike was all about you know and i think in in many ways that is reflected in the spirit of the show in many ways and i think you know as much as we try to tell the story of of different sides i think we try to show that there's again there's not like a wrong and a right it's about we have to overcome that anger and that resentment and the, how different we are we have to overcome it if we hope to keep going well guys thank you for taking the time and we hope there's another season we would love to see it so we're wishing Fingers with you crossed. yeah absolutely. thank you guys thanks it was a lot of fun appreciate thanks. it Woo, that was great thanks again to ben and matt for spending time with us Dan, I, I I don't know if I know the whole story of the vending machines, but I feel a lot better knowing that they know that we know now. I you know, I, I'm just <laughs> glad to feel like there's some resonance there and I I yes, not all our questions about the vending machine were answered, but I, I'm intrigued. I feel excited for the possibility of perhaps future vending machines at some point. Probably. I, I also like that that, you know, when when you're watching a show for a podcast, you do take notes and you think about like bigger issues. And I love that a couple of the things that we thought of during the season where we're like, you know, thematically this is you know, like thematically this is like the American Revolution. And they're like, yeah, we totally had that as yeah. part of our theme. Or or the um what was the other one? The uh the oh that Margot is uh is like von yeah. Braun and, and they're like, Yup. <laughs> like, it's, okay. al- it's almost like there's people behind Behind the scenes of the show, creating intricate patterns. I just, I just sometimes you wonder, like, am I yeah, meant to yeah. see this or am I hallucinating? And the answer was, no. You were that no, was we the plan all it. along. Yeah, so expertly crafted. It was great to talk to those guys. I um I got to talk to Ron Moore with um, Stephen Hackett, and I talked to him on Liftoff right when the show was premiering, mm-hmm. and that was that was cool, especially since like you know like you, a Star Trek fan, being able to talk to him was awesome. But these guys, I mean, they've been there since the start. It is their baby. Ron Moore is like the the, the the godfather of this the godfather yeah, this right. is their this is their baby and so to to talk to those guys who've been in the trenches putting the show together and and the care that they've got for these characters and it was just a kick too to be able you know like we do to to say hey so this about margot or 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 so this about ed and or dev and they're right, like oh yeah. yeah let me tell you because nobody's thought more about those characters than those two guys yeah, no, I, I think it shows they spend a lot of time thinking about these. I think my favorite bit was them talking a little bit about worrying, you know, when they get to that last episode in the season that they're going to have to tie all this together. A thing that we always ask ourselves, right, when we get towards the end of the season is how are they going to tie this all together? Uh, and I, it, you know, they make it look easy, right? But it, mm-hmm. it is it is hard work, and they are doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff to to make that all come together. Yeah, so. Um... So it was great. Thank you again to Ben and Matt and thanks to everybody involved in, you know, like multiple levels of PR in order to get the interview to happen. We really appreciate everybody who took our request and got it to the right people. And I also want to thank the listeners because we had a bunch of incomparable members who gave us suggestions for questions and some of them didn't get in there, but some of them did. The question I almost asked, but I didn't, was we had several Danny Stevens <laughs> yeah, questions and I, I was going yeah. to congratulate them first off on their fake out where they're like, oh, Danny, yeah, we, we like that actor. We will work with him again someday. And it was like next week. There he is. Um but uh, they're, they're, you know, the the question which was when Miles complained about the smell in the suit, was that the suit that he, that Danny died in? And then they gave it to him. And I'm like, I have not even thought of that, but it just made me laugh I when either. I saw it. I, I, it is uh, hilarious. Great. Also, just, also the person who said the most Danny thing ever, he eats all of Danielle's rations and then just dies. <laughs> 
but we didn't didn't get a chance. We, we had a we hard didn't out. Nail them down on that one. We had a hard out. We had to we had to stop before we got there. But um, and I like their dodging of our questions about sort of like the consequences. Of course, I mean they don't even. I mean. I, I was going to say they don't even know if there's a season five. They may know, but they weren't telling us if there's yeah, a season five. Yeah. And so, and they, they, you know, there were no winks there. Uh, I think they're in that limbo state where they're probably spending time thinking about it, but they haven't gotten the official thumbs up yet. Green light, yeah. So, uh, you know, but they did say to your question, there are going to be consequences. Obviously, there are consequences, but what are they? And I think that's what we came to at the end, which is, you know, Ed and Dev, like, yeah. On one hand, they did something, but as you pointed out, I I don't see a law against it. Right. And then who's going to enforce the law? Uh, yeah, it's just it's. I hope we get more, just because I'm I'm fascinated by all of that. So yeah, same. Yeah. I I think there's a lot of interesting stories still left to be told in this world and about where it ultimately goes. As they talked a bit a little bit at the end there, like what is this series heading towards? Um, lots of lots of really meaty stuff. I think to still dig into and of course you know we're getting closer and closer to our present as well which is an interesting um sort of spin on things so yeah looking forward to it hopefully a season five yeah for sure well um yeah that would also mean this isn't the last episode of of uh, nasa vending machine that would be nice, nice. <laughs> uh if it is then you know remember us as we are now uh and if it's not then we'll be back when there's more to talk yeah, about just for everybody for out there Please put another uh, a quarter in the vending machine. Yeah, if don't you let the song keep end. It, keep it going. Yeah. yeah, you want to hear the next one? What is All a right. jukebox if not a song vending machine? I guess <laughs> that's right. Asteroids are iridium vending machines. Jukeboxes are song vending machines. That's my story. Everything's a vending machine if you think about it. Don't think about it too hard. Anyway, thank you for listening to this special bonus episode. And Dan, thanks for being uh, my companion in the vending machine and in the interview with the guys who made who stocked the vending machine. I don't, I've lost the plot this here. Metaphor thanks, Dan. Is, is overloaded. Thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure, and I hope we get to keep talking about this show. Yeah, same. <laughs>